TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, Dr. Brett Hill here from The Wellness Guys and That Paleo Show. One lucky Wellness Couch member is going to receive a pair of the awesome Vivo Barefoot Ultras for summer, and it could be you. All you need to do is become a member for free by signing up at www.thewellnesscouch.com. Welcome to Careers Unplugged, the weekly show connecting you to secrets of career success. Careers Unplugged is hosted by Rich Sayer and Stu Hayes and proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program. If you feel being happy, committed and passionate about your career is important, you're in the right place. My name's Rich Sayer and I'm here with the fabulous co-founder of Careers Unplugged, Make It Big Training and the Master of Me coaching program, Stewie Hayes. Good morning, Stewie. Good morning, Rich. It's great to be here. And I must say, I'm very much looking forward to the episode we've got today as well. Tell me more. In fact, why don't I just introduce the very special guest. Our guest today is a sporting legend. Uh, He has a member of the Order of Australia. He's played professional sport in not one but two separate sports, being football and cricket. The second one, he represented Australia. He's an architect. He's an author of seven number one best-selling books, media celebrity, sports commentator, and a bloke who was brave enough to join us the morning after his birthday. Happy birthday and welcome to Careers Unplugged, Max Walker. Uh, top of the day, gentlemen. Rich and Stuart. Morning. Very good. And you had a good day yesterday with the birthday? Yeah, look, you stand under a signpost. Um, and uh, it's got a big number 65 on it, and you're looking to the future and you think, yep, not sure what's going to happen out there, but um, let's go forward with gusto, enjoy the cake, um, make sure you knock over all of those candles, and, um, yeah, we're going to have a, a better celebration with the family. School and commitments midweek doesn't make for an ideal birthday, but... Um, in fact, I was working last night. Can you believe that? Um, <laughs> and they fronted up with a birthday cake on stage. It got me way out of left field. I wasn't prepared for that. Saying happy birthday. Ah, uh, that's nice. So, speaking about the future, let's let's go back to the beginning. Um, you've had a, as that introduction indicates, you've had a an enormously diverse career. In fact, if someone says what career you're in, what do you say? I say I'm a storyteller. Yep. I have been, you know, all of my life. My dad was a master storyteller. He sold um, a lot of beer across the counter of the Empire Hotel or the Institute of Experience. He was a master builder. And um, so as a kid, I was privileged to that sort of connection and engagement, which is very important in your career, whether you're in a classroom, uh, whether at university or whether you're out there in the corporate world trying mm. to make what you say stick. Um, to me, I've done that whether it was playing cricket and making the ball talk a little down the track. or, But it's, in a sense, that's the umbrella that I'm in. And, um, you know, I love writing, um, love standing up, speaking, love photography and art. So all, all different gear changes for storytelling. But today, without getting too complex, I'm a storyteller. Very nice. What, and what was your, like, first ever job, you know, paying job? Uh, I was a lolly boy at the Avalon Theatre in Hobart and um, I was about 12. You can imagine the burgundy uh, cylinder stuck on top of the head you know, and the white outfit um, you know, tray in front and all of these hands sort of reaching in. They didn't queue up, all of these hands all over the ice creams and the lollies. I pulled up three shillings short at the end of my first uh, outing <laughs> yep. and uh, was pretty much sacked promptly on the spot. 
<laughs> and uh, and what what lesson did that give you? Well, you've got to be prepared. I guess you you walk into a space like that and you trust everyone, but <laughs> it wasn't the ideal thing to do. We should have probably got a queue going and then slowly, slowly, but at, at around about 11 or 12 years of age, you're not really... Um, you know, worldly enough to, to cope with all of that. But but what it did say to me that, you know, that I wasn't cut out to be a lolly boy. <laughs> so that's that's the age of 11 or 12. And then you, I guess you cranked the clock forward a bit. You went to university. Um, you know, when did you sort of start to mould the career that you, or the pathway that unfolded in the end? Look, I think, um, yeah, we could say to all our listeners, you know, what did you dream about when you were seven or eight or nine or ten years of age and, and all sorts of examples will, will pop up inside your head. You can be anything. You can, yeah, it can be a, a, a movie star. You, you can win a Brownlow medal. You can be a test cricketer. You can be a surgeon, a violinist. Um, so in those early embryonic days, yeah, the the belief in yourself that what you're thinking about is possible, I think, is pretty important to me. Mm. My dad was a master builder, dragged me through building sites um, in the shadows of Mount Wellington. Fair bit of snow up there, a lot of tinier despite the gumboots in the trenches. So, <laughs> I, but I love the jargon and I love the characters in in there. And he said to me, "Look, son, you should be an architect." Uh, you should be a footballer and, and a cricketer. So I, I had three, um, three forks in where I was going, mm. and um, so I set my sights on even from the backyard of a pub in Hobart to be a, a, a test cricketer or a very good cricketer, mm. and the same as a very good footballer and um, and and an architect. And they sort of fell into place with a knock on the door on the River Derwent. Um, red-headed bloke named Norm Smith, coach of the century voted maybe 20 years ago. He was the Melbourne Football Club um, legendary coach. And he's knocking on my door with a piece of paper and uh, changed my life forever. He came into my house and, you know, that that big word trust changes, doesn't it, when someone comes into your house and vice versa. And I signed this bit of paper that suggested that maybe I could play football. So that got me to Melbourne. The Melbourne Footy Club said, provided your education's good enough, we can organised that you actually um, enrol architecture at Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. And um, the fact that I was playing for the Melbourne Footy Club suggested why wouldn't you play cricket for the Melbourne Cricket Club? And so all of a sudden, at, at the age of, of just on 18, uh, matriculate, yes, um, and then look at this whole new horizon across Bass Strait where there were no guarantees. Mm. So in a way... It was a pretty big break, you know, that whoever spotted you um, really did open some doors for you. Yeah, there were two or three. Um, sometimes a lot of people don't want you to succeed too. Mm. I mean, this is maybe digressing a fraction. But can you imagine what it was like celebrating the fact that I'd just signed to play footy and, and five or six of my sphere of influence um, in Tasmania said, like, who do you think you are? You're going to be a test player, you're going to be a, a footballer, you're going to be an architect, you've got to be joking. Now, they're dream takers. No one has the mm. right to tell anyone that, mm. that they won't amount to anything. Mm. Mind you, I wasn't old enough or smart enough to believe them and the, the rest of it's history. Well, that's a theme that, that um, a lot of people talk about you know, on, on our program and, and generally that 
how, how do you personally defend yourself and protect your attitude from those type of people who are often well, close to you as well, right? Mm. Very close to you, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so it's important for a young person to surround themselves with, with people of character and, and strength um, because if you're on a path to success, you're lifting the bar and you're stretching your capabilities, you're excited about life and the potential that it's going to throw up for you and others may be a little lazy, a little slack, they, they don't like education um, or, or a hard work or commitment, use any number of words that you like there, mm-hmm. it, it's not an unusual thing that you know, you'll break out of a friendship group that you've had for a while in order to be successful. Now, a bad attitude is a negative magnet, really. Bad things attract, will happen. Attract. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good, good attitude, good things happen. Extraordinary attitude, extraordinary things happen. I reckon attitude's not negotiable. It's a very, very important word in life. And so for me, I've, I've got enough people um, around me. I couldn't begin to reciprocate the love and wisdom, direction and support that I've been given right around the world um, mm. in all sorts of manifestations. But yeah, unconditionally, they've they've given that to me. And my attitude is, if, if you can, then you must. So I I, I love the idea of, of, of helping, giving, making a, a, a difference. But you've got to back yourself. At some stage, you're going to have to say, um, I, I am actually up for this. I'm I'm good enough. Mm. Um, and then you've got to make a decision. Okay, how do I overcome the gap? Is it is it a geography gap? Is it a financial gap? Is it an academic gap? Um, do I need more people? Do I have to relocate on the other side of the world? Mm. You, you'll have a challenge there to take those next few steps as it's, you go up. It's the journey and what are the resources you need to, to get through that journey, so to yes. speak. And if it was easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, you've, you've played in teams, you know, yes. cricket and footy, and being part of a team by its very nature means at some point you were selected which also means at some point you will be dropped. Yes. How do you how do you cope with that? How do you cope with that tap on the shoulder saying, "Mate, you're out." And I don't mean how's that. I mean goodbye. Yeah. Well, 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 disappointments um, everywhere. Yeah, life's not fair, mm. and it's not a flat line. Yep. Particularly when you're talking to selectors, or parents are looking at selectors. Gosh, it gets a bit ugly sometimes. <laughs> but look, it will happen to everyone. Yep. At some stage, you're, you'll have a use-by date, particularly in elite sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the old legs aren't going to go as quick, the heart's not going to pound as much, and you're not going to be able to take as much physical punishment. Your reflexes are a little bit slower. So that happens. And look, most of the out-and-out you know, good guys and gals, they sort of know when it's, when it's there. And so when, when someone eyeballs you, which is the – you don't want to get a text or an SMS, do you? No. You want someone to look you in the eye and say, "Look, Maxie, I, I think it's over, mate. You've been great. Um, yeah, thanks very much." Uh, then, then you, you you cop it on the on the chin. Along the way, you'll be in and out of teams. So, just because you drop this week doesn't mean that you won't play next week or the week after. Mm. Uh, say in a football sense or a cricket sense. So you've got to believe that. But but when you come to the end of your tether. And then you've got to reimagine, um, reinvent what the possibilities might be. One of my favourite equations is imagination plus association equals possibility. And right. I've been 
I've been reimagining myself, you know, since I crossed Bass Strait at 18. And mm. I still today, as we talk, there's all sorts of things popping into that equation or linking the dots that I get excited about. I suspect that you'll be doing that to the day to the day you exit. Uh, yes. Has there been times that you felt confused or lost or even down and out in what you're doing? And and what did you do to handle that if if you did feel that way? It took a long time to get a job as a uh, as a trainee architect. I wrote so many letters. You you hear students talk about. I'll take my CV. Um, and I'll hand it into a whole bunch of people, and where I'll put it online. And yeah, I I wrote handwritten letters, and I still find that is one of my really strong marketing tools. Mm. No one writes with a fountain pen to say thank you or isn't that great. But I I got my first um, break halfway through RMIT. Yeah, three years full time, three years part time. Uh, in the Public Works Department Research and Development Group um, here in Melbourne. And the thing that got me across the line was the quality of my hand handwritten note and my lettering. The, the superintendent liked that, mm. and he said, I'll give you a job, and um, and we were up and, up and away. So like that was the, attention to detail or just your aesthetic capabilities and clarity well, it's part of the old rote approach to um, to learning at RMIT we would fill four or five A3 sheets with just the letter A and then we do wow. the letter B and then the letter you, C you're talking so to, you get better at it Max um, in, in your career I mean you've some amazing things um, I love the umbrella of the storytelling um, and how you you know you can take that and talk about um you know, making a cricket ball talk on a pitch um, versus talking on a stage, writing in a book. But you've had to have made choices at times and said, well, you know, for example, I'm going to prioritise cricket over football. Um, what did you do to make the choices? What was the, the rationale? It's a very interesting question, Stuart. Um, I didn't actually make the choice in that sense, it was an, an evolution. It, it happened okay. along the way. I went to the West Indies with the Australian team, the Caribbean. Gosh, what an attack on the senses over there. Mm. <laughs> Barbed wire fences and rum and, gosh, it was an amazing. <laughs> you had the steel bands and the reggae uh, for a young bloke from Hobart. But I didn't get back from that tour until about May. So I had a final year architecture thesis to complete. And I was still playing football for the Melbourne Football Club. But the big choice there was I, I shelved it. I, I thought I can't be successful to the degree that I want to in all three of these. So I, I just parked the footy at the ripe old age of 22 and I, and I never got back to the footy. So, so football um, just yeah, slipped off the radar a bit. And the ability to travel the world as a test cricketer was an extraordinary, um, amazing opportunity um, with a very, very slick group of guys um, that were very good at their game. So I, I went that way. Uh, I qualified um, just prior to, probably a month earlier than most others because I wanted to be ready for the start of the cricket season. And then, um, you know, I, I did practice architecture for about 10 years but the footy just slipped to one side and then the cricket took priority probably for the next 13 years in terms of first-class cricket 
And then when I retired with an Achilles tendon injury, um, I got a phone call from the ABC saying, how would you like to become a cricket commentator? It is mid-season. You can't say you wouldn't. You're not available because you would have been playing had you not retired or been <laughs> We know you are. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, in 30 seconds, you know, no, no background as a, as a commentator, uh, radio, television was a long way away. But I said yes because I thought it might be fun. Mm. And mm. That therein, that choice to go to Cadinia Park on a rusty old set of scaffolding at <laughs> the far end of the ground with a, a guy named Drew Morford. We, no commercial breaks. The two of us spoke four days in a row, six hours a day. And um, by the end of that summer, I was sitting alongside Alan McGilvray, the doyen of ABC cricket commentators. And uh, I guess in terms of radio, my career had taken off. Mm. So, you know, obviously playing in teams, teams have coaches and, and trainers. Um, in terms of life decisions or career decisions in your life, of which you've had so many different ones, has anyone been a, a personal mentor to you? Has anyone said, look, have you thought about this or, you know, I think you'd be great at that and, and you've taken on board that, that opinion? <clears throat> I used to do maths with a, a guy named Tony Hill who played in the same cricket team at North Hobart, uh, studying from a trick. He batted down the order and I batted at three and um, there was always a couple of hours, but, but he got me, um, got me through matriculation. He was very, very good. A guy named Noel Ruddick um, believed that I had um, you know, some ability in, in both cricket and, and football. Sure, the guys that that pointed me out to Norm Smith. And Norm Smith was one of the greatest men I've ever met. Mm. Um, he put his arm around me when he left home that, that night I signed the Form 4 and he said, you know, Max, I reckon you can make it in VFL footy. So he reckoned that I could play. I mean, that meant so much. And we should encourage our young people, mm. tell them that they can do these things. They'll do it differently and and why wouldn't you mm. if you had a choice? And so Norm Smith was a big one. Um, Alan McGilvray became a, a great a great friend of mine. My uncle Charlie and I used to wind copper wire around a cardboard cylinder to make a thing called a crystal set and these fabulous sound waves that bounce from one side of the world to the other. England v Australia Ashes series and the gravel-voiced Englishman John Arlott. But McGilvray said to me, after I'd kneed him in the back of the head, tumbled in, tanglefoot, into the ABC common tree <laughs> box, 45 degrees, 70,000 people at the MCG, the lump starting to go up. Later in that day, you get a little diamond every now and then. Sometimes you don't recognise it. You know what he said to me? He said, Maxie, imagine you are speaking to a whole bunch of blind people. If you can satisfy their needs with painted words and word pictures, you will be well on the way to success. What now, a beautiful description. Oh, that's wonderful. So anyone takes anything away from what we're talking about here, that, that one, write it down. Yep. It, it's beautiful. And that is the power of the, the spoken word too, isn't it? You know, that ability to paint a picture, convey a message, tell a story, and uh, how important it is that we uh, we pass on that that skill. Yes, and uh, you look at a lot of people will just go chronological order. They'll go place, event, time. But 
to extend into senses of taste and touch and smell and, and sound. Yeah, that's when you really bring storytelling to life. I interviewed a guy a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, Andrew follows his name. He's, he's a blind photographer. Now, just those two words are fairly significant, aren't they? Oh, that's he's amazing. blind in one eye, you know, 6% in, in the other. He can see to a focal length of about three metres. He, uh, he photographs between five o'clock and seven or eight and dusk um, in low light because it, all of a sudden the screen on the back of the camera. This bloke was such an inspiration. Been to Scotland and, and had an exhibition, just got one here in Melbourne, talking to RMIT about a prototype app that he can actually voice activate the, the aperture and the speed on his camera. I mean, just knock your socks off. Mm. Fantastic. Max, one thing that's jumping out, talk, you know, talking here now is that you are continuously grateful for, you know, so many opportunities in your life. Um, does anything really stand out? You know, are there, are there absolute highlights? Just to sit in the dressing room at the MCG and look around the two chapels and Lily and Marsh and, um, and Redpath and Stackpole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm from Hobart. You've got to pinch yourself. That, that was one of those moments. Look, to pull the green baggie on, run your fingers over the, the gold braid and the coat of arms. and Wow, that's, uh, that consumed a significant part of my my first 30 years, that, that green baggie, both the pursuit of it and, and then to try and wear it with distinction. Uh, beyond that, you know, to be involved in, 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 in radio and, and media um, was terrific. I had 16 years hosting Wide World of Sports um, mm. with the Nine Network. Mm. One of the things I did there to, to make it better because people couldn't write or speak like I do, I mean, call it Tasmanian or a, a unique turn of phrase or a frequency of, of language, but, but I couldn't get a job um, writing to hone my skills. Specifications for triple front of brick veneers and factories, not very interesting. And, and the, the now defunct Australasian Post were the only one that had given me a, a chance. Edamoga pub, you know, the, the Billy Green wig cartoons and, and all the tattoos. I was in amongst that once a week for two years. <laughs> And that started me out to, in writing. Mm-hmm. And the best of those become How to Hypnotize Chooks, which yeah. <laughs> staggeringly sold 135,000 copies. Now, seven to 8,000 is a sort of break even. 15, you're on the cusp of a bestseller. 25, you probably are. You're away. But they're a weird mob, I think, in the 50 or 60,000 mark was probably the biggest selling book of that genre prior to this. And I. I just set out to do it to make myself better in television or communicating and therein spurned a whole business. I've written 14 books now, as you mentioned, seven number ones. Um, part of the marketing of those books, How to Hypnotize Chooks, if you've got 300,000 titles in Borders, now defunct, yes. uh, you've only got a spine pointing back at you, um, and a very skinny one at that. So. How, how do you get noticed? How can someone choose you? Well, you hypnotize chooks, you kiss crocodiles, you puzzle pythons and you tame lions. <laughs> kiss babies, as the politicians would say. Yes. So, Maxie, you know, what would be the lowest point in, in a career of, of, of so many highs? What would have been the, the lowest point where you really, you know, took one on the chin and, and it got to you? Well, look, I suppose World Series cricket um, 
when we were sacked, um, banned for life for a couple of years and, and reinstated, that, that took a little getting through, but we mm. believed in Kerry Packer and he believed in us. And we did create something extraordinary together. 65 of the best players in the world. Now 400 million sets of eyeballs tune into an IPL or a World Cup final in the subcontinent. I didn't get that wrong. 400 million sets of eyeballs. <laughs> so to have been part of that cricket revolution was was amazing. But to be banned for life, I mean, that was a really big kick in the gut. Um Although maybe somewhere there was a little light at the end of the tunnel and thought, this, this is not right, it can't go on forever. And, and, and that proved um, true. Look, after a long time in, in television, James Packer came in and, um, and broomed not just Wide World of Sports, um, Hey Hey, Midday, IMT, Jeff Jans. So I was out of a job uh, after all of those years at Juggernaut. I, I did the first nighttime footy show. Hosted that and, until Eddie came along and, and Sam and the players did it on a Thursday night. But we started out um, the Sunday footy show, and and of course when that when I was told that, that that's over, um, I thought, whoa, what do I do now? It's been such a big part of my life, mm. but I had to go. Away. It took me nearly two years to to reinvent myself. What do I do instead of storytelling? Um, you know, being number Number two, uh, beyond television, because Kerry Packer said, there's no conflict of interest here. I've got first, second, third, fourth, and fifth call on your time, son. Yes, Mr. Packer, you're right. Um, So now how can I attach a number of strings to any number of businesses now to talk about how how good our product service um, is? And and now we're crossing the bridge from – from bricks and mortar into, into cyberspace. And um, a lot of people are scared of that space. The mobile phone's not coming. That, that, that era is, is here. It's parked at the, at the train station. Mm. So we've got to embrace that um, you know, mobile web platforms and, and, and apps and media streams and QR codes, those little pixelated um, you know, boxes that you scan them and they become a, a video is that your number one goal now? Not at all. It's 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 one of a handful of things that I'm, I'm passionate about. I have a, have a business on the side that, that does that beehive group and uh, small bee for, for business hivegroup.com.au. Uh, that's that's pretty fantastic. We set that up four or five years ago to predominantly focus on the mobile phone. Yeah, not. Um, social media and cyberspace and all the other things. Sure, we understand that umbrella, yep. but but digital engagement, I think, is is the sort of thing that we would say now. Mm. Face to face is great. You got ninety seconds on a phone. You probably got six or seven minutes on an iPad or a smart tablet, and then you'll go to your larger computer. But um, you don't chuck out the good stuff that's worked for the last 40 or 50 years, you just extend the potential with this new technology. Great way just, of looking at it. Just on, that, on that, that theme of 40 plus, 50 plus years, um, and I don't know how long you've been married, but how, how much of a, a power and a support has your family been um, behind you in, you know, in the tough times in particular? Uh, my my wife and I, Kerry, we've been married, we'll be married about 25 years this year. Um, she has been a rock. 
my goodness, um, I mean, she was an Australian table tennis champion. So uh, we both had our day in the sun before we met, really. And then we came together. But her, she worked for Adidas um, in, in charge of marketing and did a lot with Stefan Edberg and, and Lendl and Steffi Graf uh, in the tennis sense and Molly Meldrum and, um, and Hey Hey. So she, she took on board the marketing of of those books, the 14 books, we've sold a million copies now and a, wow, and wow. a great deal of that success has got to go to Kerry. I mean, and she is just a, a, a brilliant writer, lovely people person um, and um, yeah, very lateral thinker. So, yeah, and we doesn't always work, but, but we worked t- together for probably 20 years, only the last four or five when our girls now um, you know, going to school and uni that she stepped back to take more time out with them. Mm. But, uh, I mean, gosh, I, yeah, it's hard to quantify just what a massive impact. Have, you, have best, you got a best... golden nugget? that You know, you talked about your kids are at that sort of uh, early career stage university now. Is there a golden nugget that you'd leave for them or for, for the listeners? Uh, look, there's several. I, Rich, you were talking about pencil before. Yeah. I, I only work in a paper diary with pencil and there's going to a lot of people say, come on, Maxie, you, yeah, you're talking about this technology. But my dad said to me many, many, many years ago, he said, uh, yeah, the faintest pencil is better than the best memory in the world. And that's not bad. Write it, write it down. And the <laughs> other thing he said, yeah, get the passion in front, the fame and the fortune will follow. You go for the fame and the fortune first um, you're going to stuff it up. That's, uh, that is gold. Oh. That is uh, absolutely gold. Maxie, um, that's about all we've got time for, and, and this, is, this whole episode has just flown, and, and we could talk for hours. But uh, uh, before we finish up, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing some of those insights. Well, thank you very much. I think the idea is to believe in yourself and provide the creative energy to make um, really good things happen because... We can. Good on you, Maxie. Thanks, Max. Um, you're, ins- you're inspiring me, I can tell you. <laughs> to all of you at home, in the car, wherever you are, thanks for joining us and make sure you visit careersunplugged.com or Facebook to leave your comments and, of course, give this episode a five-star rating on iTunes. Do it for Maxie. This has been Careers Unplugged with Rich and Stu. Thanks, guys. Careers Unplugged, proudly sponsored by the Master of Me coaching program, helping you succeed in life career and business. Hi, this is Dr. Brett Hill from the Wellness Guys and That Paleo Show. How would a pair of Vivo Barefoot Ultras feel on your feet this summer? These guys are awesome and our good friends at Vivo are giving away one pair of their newest range to one lucky Wellness Couch member. Vivo Barefoot Shoes feature a puncture-resistant, flexible, non-pitched sole and a wide toe box which allows the foot to move as nature intended, as close to being barefoot as possible. All you have to do to be in the running is become a Wellness Couch member by midnight Sunday, December 22nd, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Membership is free and comes with a range of benefits. To become an official member of the couch go to www.thewellnesscouch.com and enter your name and email address merry christmas from all of us here at the wellness couch and may it be filled with great health and good times with those you love this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com 
Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Couch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.